I encourage you to keep your Bibles open in Luke. Uh, welcome to those on live stream. Didn't introduce myself before. My name's Rick. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke a number of uh, over a number of short sections for actually quite a while, and we're back into a eight or ten week section of looking through Luke's Gospel. Have you ever got to the point where you're not a hundred percent certain about who Jesus is? We had doubts. If you wondered whether Jesus is worthwhile following, uh, today we find out that John the Baptist had doubts. Imagine being John the Baptist. You've introduced the world to the coming of the Messiah. And you're sitting in prison, wondering if you got it right. We're going to see that God's word is real and honest. It doesn't fluff around with the struggles that people had and the people have in grasping hold of who Jesus is. Central player. John the Baptist called by God to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. He doubts. Today we're going to see that Jesus answers his doubts so that we might know for certain who Jesus is. We're going to see that Jesus is not just important but he's central to the plans and purposes of God. But let me tell you, there's a great danger that we think that God's word just gives us information. It's a danger we all face, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, we know what Luke says. Can I suggest to you that God's word does more than just give us information? It challenges us, particularly in this passage, God's word challenges us to how we are going to respond to the plans and purposes of God. And that will be a reflection of our heart. How about I pray for us as we look at God's word this morning. Our Lord and our God, as we gather this morning, uh, there are lots of things in our hearts and minds, lots of things that are happening in our worlds. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit might just enable us to focus on what your word says, but not just for knowledge's sake. Lord, we pray your spirit will will bring your word to life in our lives, that we will be transformed by what your word says. It will transform just not, not just what we do this week, but what we do with our lives in our service of you. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. We might forget something that John didn't have. We know the whole story and he didn't. We know what Jesus did, not just here in Luke chapter 3 or Luke chapter 7, but we know what Jesus does by the end of the Gospel of Luke. That's exciting for us, but John did not have that. Hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? So go back to Luke chapter 3 and let's see why John has doubts. Page 1562 in my Bible. John is the one that gets to announce the coming of the Messiah. 
the prophet that God had promised to send. In verse 6, and I'll just skim through it, the, we, John notes that the prophet will bring God's salvation. Now, we could say we know that. God's word had been talking about that from Genesis chapter 3 in a way. But in verse 7, we also see that when God's prophet, God's coming prophet brings salvation, the Messiah brings salvation, he'll also got to bring judgment. And that's expanded on in what John says in chapter 3, verse 15. We can see that people were wondering if John the Baptist is the Messiah. And he says, no, of course I'm not. The Messiah is coming. My role is to announce the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, he'll be far greater than me. The Messiah will be far more powerful than me. The Messiah will bring the Spirit. And the Messiah will bring a winnowing fork in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor. He'll gather the wheat and burn the chaff. That's a really strong picture of the Messiah bringing God's judgment on people. Now, remember the audience John's speaking to? They repent. They want to know what can we do? What do we need to change? What, are, what, is, what does repentance look like in the way that I live? And by the verse 19, we see that as John has spoken these words to people, he's now ended himself a spot in jail because he criticised the rule of Herod the Tetrarch, because the Herod the Tetrarch married uh, his brother's wife and did lots of other evil, and John just reminded him of that. So John disappears from the scene, but John has not ended. He's in jail. He's still expecting Jesus. He's still expecting Jesus to be the Messiah that he's spoken about, to bring God's judgment on God's on people. Sorry, but have a look in chapter seven. It doesn't seem that that's what Jesus is doing. So we know that John's in prison. In verse 18 of chapter 7, John's disciples come and tell John all these things that have been happening. What has Jesus been doing? Well, he hasn't seemed to be bringing God's wrath on people, has he? There's no winnowing fork or threshing fork. There's no fire that seems to be going yet. And where is this spirit that John spoke about? In fact, instead of bringing God's wrath on those mongrels that deserve it, Jesus seems to be showing them compassion. We just read about that last week, didn't we? Even a Roman centurion's servant gets healed. Now, Romans don't really seem in the scheme of Jewish thinking to deserve God's compassion. But Jesus brings it. In fact, Jesus not only brings compassion to those that you would least expect, but he, he criticises those that you might be surprised that he criticises. He criticises the lack of the lack of faith in God's people. Where is that messianic judgment, Jesus? You can understand John the Baptist's confusion, can't you? Put yourself in his shoes. And we grasp the depth of this confusion because in chapter 7, the question that he is concerned about is actually asked twice. It's repeated for us by Luke. Now, before we look at Jesus' reply, let's just pause, press the pause button there and ask, do we have doubts concerning who Jesus is? 
You know, sometimes we can feel that it's wrong for us to raise the problems that we're wrestling with. What are your doubts concerning Jesus? And are you courageous enough to address them? Because the worst thing to do is just allowing those doubts to fester and never be answered. John seeks answers from Jesus. He could in this case. And Jesus, as we see, just a bit of a sneak peek to where we're going, points him back at the fulfilment of God's promises. It is perfectly okay to have doubts on this topic, who is Jesus, and I'm sure on other topics, because it doesn't seem to be the thing that Jesus gets John in trouble for. Don't let your doubts linger. Seek answers from God's word so that you can understand him better. Because we are going to see how absolutely vital it is that we understand who Jesus is. So, how does Jesus answer John's doubts? Verse 21. Um, at the time that John was doubting, um, that John is asking his disciples to ask Jesus, John's been doing lots of miraculous things, healings. And so Jesus points John's disciples and John and us back at the book of Isaiah just to show what it is that Jesus is doing and how that matches the expectations of what the Messiah was going to be doing. Let me read to you just two passages from the book of Isaiah uh, that give us very clear understanding that this is what Jesus is doing. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the eyes of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame, lame leap like a deer and the mute tongues shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. Or Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me up to, he has sent me to bind up brokenhearted, the brokenhearted, sorry, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the, the prisoners. And what does Jesus say to John's disciples? The lame walk. Those who've had leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is what God said the Messiah would be doing. So Jesus, in his answer, includes proof of who he is based on what he's done. But he also challenges John and us and Theophilus to why responding to Jesus is so important. Have a look at Luke 7 verse 23. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Lots of different expectations of the Messiah. Jesus didn't fulfill lots of different expectations of the Messiah. What you do with Jesus really, really matters. What you do with Jesus impacts your relationship with God. Luke will take us through this more. Jesus will speak about it more. The judgment that John spoke about, that's not disappeared off the scene. Luke will talk about that more. The spirit that Jesus spoke about doesn't, hasn't disappeared off the scene. Luke will talk about that more in the book of Acts. It's easy with hindsight. 
to miss, to get Jesus wrong. Luke's disciples go back to, sorry, John's disciples go back to John and they speak to John. And notice, you and I have not the foggiest how John responds. But Jesus in verse 24 goes on to speak to the crowd that's there. Because Jesus wants the crowd that's there to know how vital it is that they respond to Jesus, even when he might not fit their expectations. Jesus asked the crowd, when you went out to see John, who did you expect to go and see? Were you out there looking at the plant scenery, a horticultural tour? Were you looking for a well-dressed royal figure? Or did you turn up to see a prophet? speaking sent by God speaking God's word to the people the answer is actually pretty obvious you go to palaces palaces to see other people like like kings and that sort of stuff you went to the desert because God was speaking and you had not heard God for the last 400 years you wanted to know what God was doing in his world you flocked to see him John quotes Malachi 3 verse 1 Malachi, the last time God had spoken, remember we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, God had promised to send someone to prepare the way before the Messiah turned up. And John was that messenger, preparing people for the one coming. That was a privileged position that John had. In fact, it was such a privileged position that John's role in calling people to be ready for the Messiah, he will be here very soon, made him the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He had a privileged position. But John also says, or Jesus, sorry, says, that those who respond to what he says, who join the kingdom that he was speaking about, even the least of those people is going to be greater than that great prophet John. It's a pretty incredible claim when you think a possibly confusing claim for us. Now, Luke has lots more to say about what Jesus says concerning the kingdom of God. And we're going to work through it as we work through the book. But why is it that Jesus makes that incredible claim that even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than the prophet John? Here's a short answer. John was great because John had the privilege of announcing the imminent, the immediate turning up of the promised Messiah. He wasn't like Isaiah who said it's coming, but 700 years later, it's still coming. John gets to commission the Messiah. John gets to baptise the Messiah as God predicted in Malachi 3. Now, that's a greatly privileged position. He announced the coming of the one that the whole of the Bible has been looking forward to. Go back to Genesis 3. God promises us one day someone will come and reverse the effects of the fall. And Jesus is here to do that. Uh, 1 Peter puts it this way, so that we understand the greatness of the role John had actually, and why Jesus says that those who join the kingdom are far greater. Let me read to you. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So members of the kingdom of heaven, citizens, even the least of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are greater than the great prophet John the Baptist because they see the reality of God's plan of salvation that they had all been looking forward to since Genesis. Before the coming of Jesus, the prophets searched intently, angels longed, and citizens of the kingdom know. But why is it that having got to this point, people still want nothing to do with Jesus? Surely that's a question on the heart of Theophilus. It should be the question on the heart of us. Why is it that those that you most expect to respond to the coming plans and purposes of God actually reject the one that we claim is the Messiah? Well, the Pharisees and the experts of the law get their names named and not in a positive way. They openly rejected John. And why did they openly reject John? They didn't give two hoots what, Jesus, what God was, God's plans and purposes were. Now, we get, we get an insight into this right the way through the gospel because when, the, the, when the, um, the wise men turn up and say, listen, we know where he was going to get born, where is it? They get sent there, but guess who doesn't go with them? The religious leaders. The very people that, you should, have, that should have been interested where the Messiah is going to be born, they don't even bother going and checking out where he got born from. Was it true? They didn't, they, they didn't care. Why didn't they care? Well, Jesus tells us why they didn't care. They didn't care about the plans and purposes of God. They reject John because they don't care about what God's doing. They reject Jesus because they don't care what God's doing. What were they caught up with? Well, Jesus doesn't elaborate it here, but we see in their opposition to Jesus, they're certainly caught up with wanting to maintain their power and control over everyone else. They don't really care what what God's word says. In fact, when Jesus shows them time and time again that this is what the Bible expects out of them, they double down in their opposition to him. How deeply saddening it is, isn't it? When those people that you expect to be the proclaimers of God, his plans and purposes, are the ones who don't care what God's plans and purposes are because they have their own agenda. And why do they have their own agenda? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Their heart is not concerned. Their heart was opposed to God when John turned up and their heart is opposed to God when Jesus turned up. They were so religious, they had all of their Pharisaic righteousness to maintain, their law-keeping to do, that they couldn't give a hoot about God's plans and purposes. And so they reject John, and so they reject Jesus. And Jesus points that out and then says to the crowd, verse 31, what are you going to do? Are you going to be just like this lot? 
the very people that you thought should have recognized John and Jesus, will you be like them? Will you simply be looking for a reason to reject the Messiah? Will you reject Jesus because he doesn't fulfill your plans and purposes? How easy that is, isn't it? That we turn and twist Jesus to fit what our itching ears want to hear. It's not uncommon. And don't just think of those leaders of the Anglican Church that do it regularly. Think of your own heart. There's a few challenges, I think, that rise from this passage that would be good for us to reflect on. I'm going to raise four of them. Jesus, I think, wants us clearly to know who he is, to state the obvious. But let me ask a question that might seem a bit surprising. Do you really know who Jesus is? You know, church can be a habit, can't it? You turn up because you've always done it, or your parents make you. Who is Jesus? A mate of mine got converted when we went to Bible college because he discovered who Jesus was. A bishop I know of was an atheist. He describes himself as an atheist in his third year at Bible college. You see, you can be very religious and not have the foggiest who Jesus is. Just he's a religious icon that does something to make you feel good once a week or once a year. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand what he's done? We get the bigger picture than John the Baptist had at this stage. Do you know him to be God who became flesh and dwelt among us? Or is he just a great bloke that's worthwhile following when it suits me? Do you see him, and this is the main point of this section, as the one who brings fulfilment to the Old Testament promises? Do you see him as the Messiah? That's the starting point. There's lots more to go in Luke. But there's a challenge for us, isn't it? For religious people who are regular church attenders... And don't think that because we present the Bible regularly, the Pharisees weren't doing that either. They just interpreted it through their legalistic, moralistic framework. They removed God's compassion and grace and they just had law. And they wrote their own laws when they didn't think that God had written enough. Sounds very familiar to our own hearts, doesn't it? Now, why is it important that we understand who Jesus is? What does Jesus say? People can stumble if they get him wrong. Verse 23, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It is so important that you get Jesus right. Because if you don't get Jesus right, you cannot grasp hold of what he offers. And there's a bit of an insight to where we're going next week. You see, if you reject Jesus, you cannot accept the forgiveness that he brings and you will stumble. That's what Jesus says. It's okay to have doubts? Absolutely. 
John had genuine doubts. John sought genuine answers. But if your heart wants to reject Jesus, and Jesus says it will find a reason to reject him. Just look what he says from verses 29 to 35. So be question askers. But let me also challenge you, we'll get onto this right at the end, to question your heart as well. Here's the second way I think that this passage challenges us. Do you know how valuable you are in the, as citizens of the kingdom of God? Salvation has already been won for you. We look back at what Jesus has done. We're not looking forward thinking, now is that going to be in five years time or 500 years time? We look back and we know the detail of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah has done. We have a confident assurance based not just on the promises of God, although they are perfect and always maintained. They are based on what God has already done in those promises. A confident assurance. And remember that when I'm talking about do you realise how valuable you are in God's plans and purposes, it's not because anything that you or I have done. It's because of God that he has given us this value. God does not look at my resume or your resume for that matter and say, strike me lucky, Rick is a great bloke, isn't he? I really must have him in my kingdom. Jesus comes and dies for us. Your law-keeping means nothing in God's eyes for your salvation. Your law-keeping doesn't earn your spot in heaven. Your resume doesn't get you to heaven. As members of the kingdom of God, Ephesians will say, chapter 1, verse 3, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. How good is that? Now, we live in a society that sometimes does not value people well and sometimes we have an over-inflated view of being valued. Know this, you can have a sure and certain foundation in the value that Jesus puts in you. God puts in you, Jesus died for you. It's not something you've earned. It's something that God has bestowed on you because he loves you. And he loves you whilst you are still a sinner. How good is that? Here's the other two ways I think this passage speaks to us today. I'll do it very, very, very brief in them. Uh, a change is happening, isn't there, in the life of Jesus, if that's not to state something that's bleeding obvious. But there's something big that's happening in the big plans and purposes of God. There's a change that's happening. See, John, up until John the Baptist, God's people connected with God through the Old Covenant. And Jesus is starting to point out something that will become very obvious by the time we get to the book of Acts, which, remember, is Luke wrote the, book of, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, that there is a change that's happening between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And Jesus is that pivot point. Jesus is the one that brings the Old Covenant to an end and the New Covenant to a start. And in the New Covenant, 
the greatest prophet of the old covenant is not even close to being as good as the citizen of the new covenant because not because God values new covenant people better than old covenant but because John didn't see what we see clearly remember that remember there's a change that's happening as you look through the gospel of Luke into the gospel into the book of Acts the new covenant sorry the old covenant comes to an end and the new covenant starts and it's because of what Jesus has done and is doing at the stage we are reading here the final thing I just want to bring to your attention is something I did say a few times and even though I'm doing it really briefly, don't underestimate the importance of what Jesus raises here. Your heart, your heart uh, and your heart attitude towards God has a huge impact on how you respond to Jesus. And that has a huge impact on your eternity. So are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding what you feed your heart? Now, Jesus points that out just briefly here. I'm dealing with it briefly because Jesus is going to elaborate on what he means a number of times in Luke's Gospel. Why don't I pray for us? Lord, give us the courage to ask questions to doubts we have. Lord, we pray that as we do so, our hearts will be seeking your plans and purposes and not our own. Help us not to try and fit Jesus in with what we want to do, but help us to fit us in what you are doing through the person of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus has come for the confident assurance that we have as citizens of the kingdom, looking back at what Jesus has done to fix the problem of our sin and restore our relationship with God. We thank you that Jesus has turned aside the Father's wrath. Lord, we pray that as your people, that will be the message that we hold on to dearly and speak to a world that so desperately needs to know. Thank you for the confident assurance that Jesus brings. Lord, we pray that that confident assurance will bring hope to a world that is feeling overwhelmed. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.